This is Madria Steven with the Working with Wolves podcast. We are currently about to begin episode three in the Basement Child series. I think last time we left off with me describing the first seven years of living with my biological parents and uh, siblings. And so this podcast will begin to delve into what it was like after I returned from foster care without my twin brother. To reiterate a little, you know, the first seven years was pretty awful. A lot of starvation, being overfed, having to eat bad food, uh, failure to thrive, going feral, a lot of neglect. We rarely had baths or showers. We were monitored into how much toilet paper we used. It was this big thing if we used more than two squares for poop. More than one square for a pee. Between the age, like up until the age of seven, I remember having to kneel on the outside of the tub and put my cheek on the bottom of the tub and hold my own hands behind my back. And my biological mother would fill the tub with water. And naturally, I would reflexively recoil and she would grab my neck and force it down there and tell me to stay. My brother and I both remember having to kneel on cheese graters until our knees bled sometimes for hours. The different sides were dependent on our biological mother's mood. And I remember having to kneel for hours, facing the wall with my hands behind my back. My biological father just denied my existence and my twins. He never helped us, never stood up for us. Could have, when she wasn't there, did nothing. And never fought with her about it, telling her to stop. Just did nothing partook when she ordered him to. And there was a fire in the house. I think we were about maybe three or four. Uh, I remember the, a weird smell coming in. We were in the back room and I smelled something weird. So it must have been something burning. Anyway, and my twin went out to see what it was. And uh, I don't know, I heard some sort of commotion or something, so I went to the doorway of the back room and looked out, and he was standing there, and there were people, and there was smoke, and there was a big hose that went into the house, and things were pulled out and put on the lawn. And I remember hearing my biological mother say to the fireworkers, oh, we forgot the pigs in the house. Just like that. So indifferent. The pigs were me and my twin. She didn't even care. Also, when we were younger, we weren't allowed to just use the washroom when we wanted. We had to hold it and ask for permission every single time, and we were not granted it. So when my sister, my little sister, took over that back room, they turned it into a bedroom and gave it to her. The bunk beds, I was allowed to lay or sit under the bunk beds. Most of the time, I had to sit cross-legged, hunched over underneath the bunk beds until my biological mother said, I didn't have to sit like that anymore. And she would check in randomly. And I would go and ask to use the washroom. And sometimes she would say yes. Sometimes she would say no. My sisters bathed together for hours and hours playing with bubbles and stuff. And I'd have to wait until they were done. So sometimes I'd have an accident. Or I would come out and poop in a box where my clothes was kept. And then crawl back under. And I got busted. Anyway, so one time I pooped my pants. And my biological mother made me go... And she said, well, you're going to poop your pants. Let the neighbors see. I don't care if you're naked. 
So I had to strip down and be naked and stand out there for everybody to see my poopy butt. And she would watch and see, well, do the flies land on you yet? And things like that. And then she would give my sisters some sort of snack because we always wanted food, my brother and I. So she gave them some sort of snack and they ate it and they chanted around me, I got food and you didn't. And, you know, it was a humiliation. So I went from that kind of life for the first seven years to a little bit of a respite for, I don't know, six or eight months maybe. We had visiting rights for within that time and I was treated very well, but not well actually because I was used as a pawn to drive my brother away and it worked. So social services took my well-being into account and sent me right back to hell. And for about two weeks, things were good there. That's how long it took for them to finalize me being back there and to close the file. Now, social services files end with me being sent back and people were calling in and saying, don't send her back. We fear she'll be held like a hostage. We fear she will not have a normal life. Don't send her back. Blah, 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 blah about these things. All of those things came to pass. And social services pulled the same move as my mother and they neglected my well-being and they sent me back. That's how they closed the file when I was seven. Ignoring those calls and putting me back there. So I had um, delayed physical development. Entering into my teen years, I looked like I was about nine. I was four foot one, four foot two. My sisters used to joke and say I was a midget. Now I'm taller than both of them. <laughs> How's that for karma? <laughs> and yeah, I wasn't developing a bust or, you know, normal womanly figure. And my biological mother would say that's because I was full of demons and I was evil. And, and she used to question me about my genitals too and check if I was growing pubic hair and just really weird stuff. Anyway, she made me wear a diaper to school in grade six, I think, and was and, and also in grade one and grade three when I didn't need it. Yeah, just to, to intentionally humiliate me. And she said I couldn't change in the stall in the bathroom. And she told my sister to watch and make sure I changed in the open so everybody could see. So what a nice lady, huh? Just because I was underdeveloped physically. I remember if something happened that she got mad at me, she would stay mad for like six months at a time. And it wasn't just, you know, I'm mad at you and I don't want to talk to you until I'm ready. It was cold shoulder, distaste in the voice. I was evil. I was a liar. I was a manipulator. Um, I couldn't do anything. I was, I was not allowed to do chores because that was extreme privilege. I was the only one who had chores to do. So I was shut away in a different room that was actually a storage room with a bed that had holes in it and a leak right over the bed. <laughs> Sometimes I would come back from school and I would find food there, like loaves of bread that was usually moldy, bunches of bananas that were so ripe the peels were black. Sometimes they were moldy. And, you know, stale pies or um, like the raisin pie. You know, as a kid, I did like them because they were pretty sweet, but I don't really have that much of a sweet tooth now. And I would have to eat apples with rotten spots in them and just old food. I don't know why she even got it. It's not like it was good to buy moldy bread. But anyway, 
sometimes I would get bagels and they wouldn't be moldy yet. Or sometimes I'd have some sort of expired meat or something. And I ate it because there was nothing else to do shut away in that storage room. And I had one little box of stuff and a couple of stuffed animals. So at school, I was doing well. I had good marks. I was kind of usually the favorite among the teachers. Like they said, I was so cute and frail and fragile. And I was a good kid. And I had a bounce in my step. And I was an avid learner. I would read encyclopedias for fun. <laughs> so I was a bit of a freak. My biological mother, she used to interrogate me and ask to be seen what was in my backpack every day that I came back from school. So if a friend gave me presents, she would take them away. So I just kept them in my, in my desk at school and I wasn't allowed to keep pictures of my friends or anything. I was never allowed to have friends over or to go to a friend's house. In my entire 14 years there, I was only allowed to like one friend's house once. And that's because my biological mother liked my friend's dad, who he was. And that friend's dad called to ask if I could come over. And when I got back, boy, oh boy, oh boy, I had to tell absolutely everything I said and did. I was called a mooch. I was called a liar no matter what I said. And I wasn't allowed back. And I would get my friends to invite my little sister to birthday parties, hoping that I would get to go because they were my friends. And she would get to go and I wouldn't. And she would tell them, oh, you know, she couldn't come because she was bad and she would bring them a present and get to have fun. So that sucked for me. For the for those seven years, my sisters were always told to watch me and tell me if she says this and tell me if she does anything. So my older sister was a bit of a shark. She would just make things up left, right and center. And I think my mother knew that she was lying, but she didn't care. She just took the opportunity to abuse me. And I didn't have the words. I was not permitted to talk. So I still had, like, I had more than a nine-word vocabulary, but I was still limited in that house to yes, no, thank you, hi, bye, and then their names. So I wasn't allowed to defend myself. And she would question me about anything, like, oh, you swear, or, oh, you want my place beside your father, which, why would you say that to an eight-year-old? Like, I didn't know what she meant. So I started saying yes to everything that she accused me of just to shut her up. Because if I said no, she was going to say I was lying and she would carry on even longer. A couple of times I would pass out and she would say it's because the demons were preventing me from the truth. I think it was probably God sparing me for a minute or two. Anyway, and sometimes there were friends that lived nearby. So my sisters could visit their friends that lived nearby, but I wasn't allowed to. There was a short time, I think I was about 9 and 10 years old when both parents were working and we had a babysitter and then eventually my older sister was put in charge and those were without doubt the best times of my life there because both of my sisters as soon as the parents van drove away in the morning they would run over to the storage room and tell and open it and I could come out and have breakfast with them and I always had lunch with them and you know like I could hang out with them all day and it was fun I think it was just for one summer that that happened. Anyway, and my older sister really stepped up to the plate. Like she, yeah, we didn't really fight. And then as soon as the parents were supposed to come back, they'd be like, quick, quick, go, go, go. They're coming. The band's there. And I would go back and they would sit down and turn on the TV as if nothing happened. So it was pretty fun. That's where my musicality started to come out because I would sing and 
my older sister would <laughs> make me sing to Disney songs, which I now love. And we would do air band, and I always had to be the singer, even though I wanted to play guitar and drums too. But we had our little roles within that. And I remember one time I was singing in the hallway, and my mother was like, turn the radio down. And it wasn't the radio, it was me. And, you know, my sisters used to beg and beg and beg for our mother to let me hang out with them in the hallway in front of my room, the storage room. Sometimes she would say no, sometimes she would say yes, but it was always for a short time. And sometimes if I was good, I could eat on the floor outside of the door of the storage room. So I was kind of not really treated the best. And But eventually, as I eased into being a tween and then an early teenager, my underdevelopment was resented, and so was my success at school. I didn't have straight A's, but I think my lowest mark was a B. And the teachers always had positive things to say. One of them wanted to put my art in a museum because we had to cut a face out of a magazine and then draw the other half, and I guess I did well on the other half, and she really wanted to put it in a gallery. And I said no, so I could give it to my mother, who threw it out in the garbage for me to see. Anyway, so she started bringing us to counseling, and I'm putting counseling in quotes, with some pastor guy who was her friend, or is her friend still. And let me tell you, this pastor is wrapped around her little claw, because he would second everything she said about me. Her behavior towards me was cold and distant. It still wasn't as bad as at home. And he would just sit there and say, well, why did you do this wrong? Or why did you do that wrong? He never stood up for me. And I was a child. So that was from about the age of 11 to 14. And that started happening. And it was mostly like a let's point out how evil she is session. It wasn't helpful. It wasn't guiding her into how to love her own child. It was, you know, why do you like food so much? Well, why don't you smile when you're at home? Things like that. And then I did the things that he recommended and it still wasn't good enough. I drew her pictures. I wrote the things that I liked in a little book and gave it to her. I made a little bag out of string, gave it to her with the word mom on it. So wasn't good enough. And of course, she didn't tell him how much she hit me. If my sisters were in a bad mood, she would say, go beat her. And I wasn't scared of my sisters. And I would stand up for myself against them. And she would come over and make it so that I couldn't stand up for myself. And so it was stupid. Like, it was just no matter what I did, I was always losing big time. And then I started writing in a diary that I got. And I can't remember what it was, but my little sister got me in trouble for something that wasn't true. And I wrote, I hate, and then my little sister's name. Anyway, and so my older sister had fake school, or fake sick from school, <laughs> and got to stay home. And she went into my room, and she found my diary, and she read it, and she showed it to the parents, and they showed it to my little sister when I got back. And they didn't even tell me. They just cold shoulders. So things were actually going decently for a while. Like, I was able to say more than nine words, and I was, you know, allowed out of my room and getting my meals and doing the chores without too much trepidation. Anyway, and all of a sudden, there was this cold shoulder, and I had no idea what I did wrong. And the food went back to being stale and gross, and I wasn't allowed out of my room. Nobody would look at me or talk to me. And um, I heard her talking about it with her friends on the phone, and that's how I knew they read my diary. 
And I went in and read it because she said, oh, I wrote right in it. So I read what she wrote and it was basically the gist of it was you can't blame anyone. It's just you basically. And that carried on for six months, like just this horrible tension. And another time I stole some food. I can't remember. It was like crackers and itchy bad noodles, things that didn't go bad. So I always had to do the laundry. So when I would go downstairs, sometimes I'd have to wait for the dryer and so I would explore because they had so much stuff in that basement. It was a junk fest. So I was curious. So I looked around and I found crackers. So I would eat them sometimes when I went downstairs. And then I'd take the wrapper up because I felt bad. And I would hide it in the back of this little teddy bear that had a zipper in the back. Anyway, so one time, I can't remember what they discovered that I wasn't allowed to have. Oh, my little sister discovered that I had a picture of my friend who was in my class in one of the books that I was reading. And she showed it to our mother and all hell broke loose. So I was so bad. I snuck it in. What else do you have? What else are you hiding? You better tell me now. So I revealed the packages from the food from that was stuffed away in this teddy bear. And it was the end of the world. Like, honestly, they had never seen anything so bad or so disgusting. They took away my toys. They took away everything. They shut the door. And I went back to being Cinderella without the prince and uh, dehumanized. So social services noted her saying, like my own mother said, she lies, she steals, and I hate her. Um, not every time was that cruel, but a lot of it was. I was sent to Bible camps without being told where I was going and very humiliating ways. Like she would drop me off and not even say goodbye, and I didn't know how long I'd be there. Then she would send somebody else to pick me up and take me to another one. And I had one terrible experience at a Bible camp where they took my underwear, they took my money, they locked me in a cabin so the boys could come and try to have sex with me. And, like, one girl in the cabin felt bad and told me their plan, and she got me out, and then I told the the cabin leader, and everyone got busted big time. And after that, the rest of the week was okay, but I was ready to not be there. (laughs) But lo and behold... I was sent to another one and I was quite upset and I had made things for my mother, of course, to try to make her proud of me. And she never was. She threw it away or didn't get it or didn't care. She was so indifferent. And so I, I basically thrived at school. That was my safe zone. I hated summers because I'd be stuck and bored. And so I would read at night. I was a very advanced reader. Like I read the whole um, Harry Potter book in one night. I think that was in grade six. I just fell in love with the story. It was this boy who lived under the stairs and wasn't liked by his family. And he got a chance at a real adventure. Still have a soft spot for little Harry Potter. Anyway, so that's what the next seven years were like. My mother started getting weird in her abuse. Like, it started off like, okay, I had to run bath water for my sisters, and if they said it was too cold, she'd fill the tub, and I'd have to sit in the freezing or boiling hot water until she said I could come out. And she would check. She would make sure I was still in there. And um, my older sister scratched the word fuck on the bathroom shower door with a pin and lied and said it was me. And it wasn't. Like, I've never liked swearing. I mean, I I swear I can do it, but it's not like I loved it. And it was my biological father this time who interrogated me. 
and demanded the truth. And I said it wasn't me, and it wasn't. And I was accused of lying, and uh, he actually hit me and was quite aggressive. And I was pretty mad. And then, of course, I got in trouble for crying, because heaven forbid somebody cry when they're a kid. I was about nine. And I made a backpack up to go to my friend's house in grade three. We had this plan that I would just catch the bus and I could run away to her house because her parents were nice. And she asked her parents and they said yes. She was my best friend until she moved away. Anyway, and I left a little note and it just so happened that the day before I ran away, my older sister went in my room because she would go in there and just trash the room and wreck my toys. She beheaded my favorite toy lion and told my mother that it was me and it wasn't. Anyway, so she went in and she found my backpack and found the note and of course I have stopped from running away and treated like crap as if I should want to stay in those conditions. So to cope with the boredom and the constant stress, I let my imagination become active. And I thought things through and I think in videos and colors to this day. Sometimes I think in sounds and in music. And it all started with reading. I used to open up the blinds from my window and read with the street lamp that shone into my room. Now I didn't read out loud and if I still read out loud to this day I get kind of stuttery sometimes or flustery because we used to have to practice reading aloud for class and my little sister and I were in the same class for some years and just because they merged the classes so we were in different grades but the same class. Anyway and if I made one mistake, I was like humiliated and cut down by my mother and my father. But my little sister was encouraged and fostered and, oh, you're doing so well. And if I got better marks, it was, well, she's just a suck up. And my report card was thrown in the garbage for me to see it there because I did the sweeping. I had to put the dust from the dustpan in the garbage and clear off the plates for the dishes so she knew I would see it. You know, there was just no, no care. It was 45 degrees out, I think, minus 45 with wind chill. And I guess my sisters were picked up at school or something, but nobody told me. And I had to wait outside the house until they got back and they didn't care. Nobody cared that I was freezing cold and hungry and it was dark. When they got back, they just took their time and I didn't even get supper. And oftentimes I'd be left at school and I was the only kid without a lunch. Not because there wasn't food, but because nobody cared to pack me one and I didn't have the rights to go make my own. So I'm glad those teachers stopped her from coming and talking to me because she probably would have made my life hell. I used to have nightmares about her humiliating me at school. Once my older sister was off in high school, though, I had more freedom at school because she was, <laughs> she just loved to cause trouble, I guess. And my little sister, she felt bad. So sometimes she would say stuff or whatever, and I would get in trouble, but it was a lot less frequent than when my older sister was there. And she was more indifferent um, because she was finding herself and making her own friends and stuff. Yeah, so that was my life there. Just being sent away, having to do errands, never a thank you, never appreciation. I would always tell her, you know, I'm sorry. 
And she'd be like, I don't care. And she would tell me, God is going to put you up in the sky and strip you naked and throw you into hell for all the world to see. And you can cry then, but it'll be too late. But I never knew what I was doing wrong. Like, I never knew. I didn't cry anymore because she didn't want me to cry. But if she was, you know, hurting me or hitting me or something, she would do so until I cried. So I suppressed it because I wasn't supposed to cry, but she would just keep at it. Like she'd hit me with a brush, she'd grab my neck and throw me back against the door. And my little sister was like, her head hit the door. And she's like, it's her fault. She moved back. Well, okay, you're bigger than me. Yeah, I was small and underweight, very tiny, very frail. And when I found out I was going to be sent away, it kind of happened after a series of events. So my older sister hated my guts and she would always say, I hate her. I wish she was dead. I wish I wasn't related to her so that I could hear it, of course. And my mother wouldn't say, hey, that's not cool to say that. Okay. She would just say, careful what you wish for. And to me, that was ominous. And there were just so many things. So after the food episode with teddy bear, you know, things were really tense and I was a thief and I couldn't be trusted and I couldn't do chores anymore. And you know, just all this stuff. And it carried on for months. And there was this thing at school where we had to post, it was a board in the back of the classroom. And we had to post pictures of things that we did with our family. And my mother knew about it. She said, I'm going to give you nothing so that you can be embarrassed. And I was embarrassed. My older sister had traced the autograph of the Spice Girls for me some time ago on a napkin and I had a picture of a snake that nobody wanted because it was underdeveloped and that's about it I never had photos or keepsakes or notes or anything like that anything special anyway so I took the Spice Girl autograph and I posted it on the board and I said that we met the Spice Girls and the classmates right away knew I was lying because I'm a terrible liar and so they said well why is it in pencil why is it on a napkin? And I lied some more and said, well, that's all I had with me. Anyway, and it turned into this big confrontation. They asked my little sister, who was in a different classroom at the time, and she flat up said, no, it's not true, and didn't stand up for me. And they said, see, we knew it, liar. And I was, I threw my mitts down. It was in the winter. It was January. And I said, fine, I'm a liar. And then I went with my friend was walking me out and she was like, are you okay? And we were walking and I saw my other friend and she's like, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm scared to go home. I'm going to get hurt. And this is my first time ever standing up or talking about anything that went on in that house. And my friends were pretty concerned. Like I remember their faces just changed and my one friend that I was walking with lived nearby, so sometimes we'd walk each other at least part ways, especially if I was the only one there, like if my sisters weren't there, and it was fun. Anyway, and so I just turned to her and I was like, can I come over to your house? And she said, yeah. And so she called her mom when we were there and asked if she could have a friend stay over, and her mom was like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And then I cried. I bawled. I was terrified because everybody was already so mad at me for so long for everything I did. And I was ugly. I was disgusting. I was back to being that thing. And I was evil and demons and whatever my mother would throw at me. It was always spiritual. She was tearing, trying to tear my spirit apart. So I just opened up and I told my friend this. And I was like, if I go back, I'm going to get beaten. 
and they're going to be mad at me for a very long time and I'm really scared. I remember that pastor because he said, if you ever need help, you call me and you let me know. So I looked up his number and I called him and he said, where are you? And I told him where I was and he said, you have to go back home. And I burst into tears and I said, if I do, she will beat me. And he said, when she beats you, she loves you. You need to go back. I'm coming to get you. If you're not back in two hours, we're calling the police to come and get you. And I was terrified. So I told my friend what he had said. And she started to walk me back. We made it to the house. And I saw my biological mother stirring a pot of something in the kitchen. So our back door had a window. And if I tippy-toed, I could look in. And I did. And she looked angry. So I freaked because I, I knew I had the chance to get away or to do something about it. So I turned to my friend and I said, can we just go to your house and talk about it? Or can we go to our other friend's house? And she said, yeah, let's, let's do that. And we started walking back. And as we're walking back, that pastor drove by in his stupid white van and looked out the window and it was like a big glare and he pulled over and I turned to my friend and I sobbed. I had never cried that hard in my life. And her jacket was like wet with my tears. And she just held me. She didn't know what to do. And the pastor came out and grabbed my arm and started walking down the street. And I pulled my arm out and said, I can walk myself. And this was new to me. This was just new. I had never stood up to anyone ever before or taken independence or anything in any form ever before. I always admitted that I was bad. I always said everything was my fault and that I deserved it. And this time I was kind of showing that it wasn't right. And something inside of me knew that. Anyways, so we walked back. My mother immediately sent me to the storage room, of course, and then tried to talk to my friend who was terrified and wouldn't tell what I said because she knew uh, just from meeting my mother that it was pretty serious. The next day at school, she told me that she was scared that my mother was the scariest person she'd ever met. And then, of course, my mother had to call her mom and tell a bunch of lies about me. Just things that were not even true. Anything. Just terrible things. Story after story. And it was a long conversation. And tried to make it so I couldn't hang out with that friend at school anymore. Fortunately, that didn't work. Anyway... That pastor was just there and they just stood there. So they called me out of the storage room and stood in a triangle around me in front of me. The biological father, biological mother, and the pastor. And they just stared. And then my mother was like, now talk. And I was like, what am I supposed to say? And I started crying. And she took off her slipper and came charging at me like she normally did to beat me with it. And, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, just said that. What am I supposed to say? And started crying. And when I did that, she put the slipper on again and didn't hit me with it. But the pastor didn't even try to stop her. Yeah, so I was sent back. And apparently my little sister waited until she got frostbite on her ears, which she didn't. I had looked behind me when I was walking with my friend and saw her on her way home. So, and we lived in equal distance apart, a block away from the school. So no waiting for four hours. No frostbite, just this big sob story. And nobody would talk to me. 
And it was at that point that my older sister said, I hate her. I wish I wasn't related to her. And my mother said, careful what you wish for. And I knew something bad was going to happen to me. And then she also said, don't call me your mother. I am not your mother. Call me. And then she said her first name. So I just didn't call her anything. And then the next day I went to school without eating breakfast. And it was actually my father who was there during lunch to say, you know what, you're hungry because you didn't eat the breakfast we put out for you. And I thought it was weird because I'm like, when you starved me for days when I was younger, why does it matter now? Uh, at that point, I had to learn how to cook for myself. So I was 13. Nobody guided me. They did it on purpose. I burnt my hand on the oven, lifting it out one day. And the whole house smelled like burnt skin. Nobody cared. Nothing at all. And they put out a ration, and I had to make it somehow. And then my mother was like, well, you just sit here. You eat like a whale. You're a gluttonous pig. You don't lift a finger, even though... Like, she's the one who put the ban on me doing chores. Anyway, you don't lift a finger. You just sit here. So you can start paying rent. And she just started, like, how am I supposed to make money? Like, I still got to go to school, right? Like, just all this weird stuff. And then pointing out that other girls were developing. My sisters were developing, but I wasn't because I was evil. And she would lecture me for hours and hours and hours about how evil I was and make me say it back to her. So naturally, I grew to believe it. We had one final meeting with that pastor. I call him the evil pastor. And they told me after school had ended for the summer that I would be going into foster care. They didn't say when, they didn't say how long. They said, when we ask if you change, you need to change. And if you say no, we won't take you back. And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, how am I supposed to change? Like, where am I going? And then they went to Marineland. So my mother told me, we got tickets to Marineland and we're going to go there. We're going to have fun as a family together while you're in foster care. And those people are going to use you for money. They're going to make you do chores. They're going to this. And she would tell me terrifying stories. And you know what? All of it was true. All of it was true. And the whole time my sister's would play the marine land. You can take your family for the day. Watching the whales as they swim and play. With a great big hug and a great big kiss. Everyone loves marine land. Right? I remember the commercial. So I got to hear that and these terror stories. And know that bad things were going to happen to me. And I was being excluded. How they left me was not to go in normally to social services and say, okay, here she is, take her off our hands, okay, bye. It was to wake me up early, suddenly, I didn't know when I was going in, and to say, pack a bag for a week. So I packed, and I didn't know if I was going to another summer camp or what. And then she came and she gave me a bag, my mother did, and she's like, I want this back. I was like, okay. So I packed it. Not that I had much anyway. And I set the calendar for in the fall. And I put my favorite outfit out. And she gave me back some of the art. Like, she didn't keep very much. And she never displayed it. But she gave it to me. And I left it on the bed. And she put stuff, more stuff in the storage room. That I wasn't allowed to touch. And soon I had no room in there other than to sit on my bed. 
Couldn't even do push-ups. I tried. And then one morning they woke me up and I was going. And my father came and said some sort of goodbye and acted like he cared for about 30 seconds. My older sister didn't even come out at all. Didn't say goodbye. Didn't say nothing. My little sister came out and looked extremely guilty. And she said bye. And I looked right at her and said, have fun in Marineland. That was the last words I said to her. Then my mother sent me in the back seat, not very nicely. And she was swearing. I remember she was swearing so much on the way there, just everything. And then we get into the parking lot for social services. And she calls me around to the front of the van, but tells me to not look at her. So she's like, come here, don't look at me. And she's like, remember that I'll always love you. And then she drove away. And I remember the van, I can still picture it driving away the back of the van as she drives away. And at that point, I knew that what she said wasn't true. That was the only time she ever said she loved me. And I knew it was a lie. So I had to go into social services. She made arrangements with them, but I had to go in at the age of 14 and say that I had nowhere to go. But the social worker knew I was coming, but it was still, I was left in a parking lot. Like she didn't, she didn't walk me in. Like she just left me there. So that's how I entered into foster hell, which was a new phase of life. And I learned to stand up for myself in some very, very strong ways. So that's the 14 years. That's a small gist of it. There's a lot of torment, a lot of torture, a lot of beatings, a lot of starvation as well. A lot of weird stuff with food, a lot of targeted spirituality, like using her spirituality to judge me as if she's God. Like, sorry, but I, I think God's a little bit bigger than that. He's not going to target one child for the whole world to see humiliated. That's what she would do if she was God. And she's not God. The God I believe in would forgive her and love her and convict her nicely. So that's where we'll end it for today. Is me left in that parking lot. That was July 5th. And sometimes I am happy about it because I'm like, that's the day of freedom. And other times I'm sad about it because that's the day I realized that my biological family would never love me. We are making progress through this series and we'll get to the more hopeful stuff soon. 